Revelation 22, and then we are going to just walk through it, really. I won't spend as much time on the verse that we looked at this morning, just be more brief there. All right, take note there, Revelation 22, verses 16 to 21, God's final word here. And what we're going to see tonight, here's the plan, here's kind of where we're going. We're going to see God gives us a final welcome in verse 17. We'll see God gives a final warning in verse 18 and 19. And then thirdly, we're going to see God gives a a final word of promise in verses 20 and 21. All right, final uh, welcome a final warning, and a final word of promise. Those are, that's the plan. That's kind of our points that we're going to tonight. All right, here we go. Revelation 22, the Word of God says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I've read some um, famous final words. I tried to look up some famous final words final words or parting words. And some of the more famous ones, there's one that is by the reformer Martin Luther, not the, our political re, uh, reformer of 60 years ago or so, but the German uh, Protestant reformer Martin Luther, who was a Catholic and, as I've told you before, took his Bible seriously, at least in the matter of salvation, was reading it and realized Catholicism was teaching him the wrong thing about being righteous with God. And he realized that the only way to be righteous with God, the only way to be saved is by faith. It's not by the regiment that you follow of the Catholic Church. It's not by doing their indulgences and all all their other, whatever recipe they laid out back then or even now. It's not by good works or by following uh, a church or depending on yourself. And he realized, wait a minute, the Bible teaches that you are saved by only putting your faith in Jesus. And there 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 was these phrases by the way, this is in the 1500s, Martin Luther, and there were some other men. There have always been Baptists saying this stuff, but this is kind of more of a popular voice. Martin Luther said, Sole Scriptura, Sole Fide, Sole Gracia. That means by uh, uh, faith alone, the Scripture alone, grace alone. And there's probably a few others. It's Latin phrases. They're saying it only takes faith, it's only by God's grace, and the Scripture is the only authority. And that was their cry, okay? So one of the things that happened to Martin Luther is that he was uh, not well-liked by many Catholics. Some Catholics converted and followed, and you began this Protestant movement, a lot of Lutherans and, and so on. And, uh, uh, but what happened was is that he was called to what they would call 
Adit. Adit was like a gathering of religious authorities to ask questions and hash out things. And it was called the Deet of Worms. And it had nothing to do with little creature worms. It was Worms was a city in Germany where Martin Luther was from. He was called to be questioned at this Deet of Worms. They were discussing a bunch of other things. Again, this is like 15, this is April of 1521. Uh, I guess almost 500 years ago, a little over that. Uh, and he was called and they did other things, but they called Martin Luther up. A lot of Catholics there basically saying what's this guy doing you know what's he writing about because Martin Luther had already written tracts against the corruption of the Catholic Church and in favor of salvation by grace through faith and that disturbed them and it threw everything off he exposed the the immorality of the priests and of the popes he called the Pope the Antichrist and things like that and they called him out and they said what do you have to say for this writing and this writing and this writing did you write this? Yes, I write it. Do you stand by it? Yes, I stand by it. And to paraphrase his speech, he basically said, I can, I, he's basically said, yes, I write this. This is what I believe. And I will only be reproved with Scripture. And then his final words were, here I stand. I can do no other. And after he said that, it was like a kind of a rustling and a little, little bit of, you know, fussing in, uh, among the crowd that listened to him because he had some people taking his side, some people that were against him. But his last words were, here I stand, I can do no other. I think there's even a biography uh, written where it's, I think the title of it is, Here I Stand. Famous last words there of uh, Martin Luther at one of his speeches. One of his last words before he died was, um, I'm known in heaven, I'm known on earth, and I'm known in hell. <laughs> and the reason he said that is because he literally, you could read some of the book, you, you read some of what he went through, it felt like he literally had demons chasing him, trying to give him problems. And um, anyways, we're, we, are, we, we appreciate people that are a gospel voice, not that we'd agree with him on everything. He had some other very other concerning areas that we could talk about, but as far as the salvation message, we're happy about that. Listen to that. Here's a couple more. One of them's humorous. One of them's kind of not. Um, Here's the last words of a guy. Well, is technically not his last words. He died two weeks after he said this, but people thought it was ironic. This guy's a playwright and a poet named Oscar Wilde or Wildey. In November of 1900, some of you heard of him? Never heard of him. Okay, so he's supposed to be a funny guy. And he was writing his friend. He was telling his friend, you know, I'm having a, I'm going, this, he's staying at a hotel. And apparently he's really fussy about the walls and the decoration He's staying in a hotel, and he goes, this, this wallpaper and I are having out of battle, he says to his friend. And I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't really care what wallpaper looks like. But anyways, this guy's like, this wallpaper and I in this hotel are having out of battle. And finally he says, either this wallpaper goes or I do. And his friend thought it was ironic that two weeks later the wallpaper stayed and he went. <laughs> and he died. So that's how he died. And then here's another one. And I found several like this, several quotes like this. Here's a guy, his name's Johnny Ace. He was a musician. Uh, in 1954, he was playing with a 32 caliber revolver. And here's his last words. I'll show you that it won't shoot. And that was his last words. and You can probably tell what happened. And there's been a couple of quotes like that. But here are good last words. These are not um, tragically ironic. These are triumphant last words here. They're warning. There's, of course, a welcome, a warning, and a word of promise, and I really love this. So let's look at this tonight. 
first of all, we're going to get kind of it, it, it introduced. Jesus kind of reintroduces himself as the author. Look at verse 16. Notice a few things that he says as we, as we, before we get into the main points. Jesus recaps himself. Look what he says in verse 16. I, Jesus, I'm the one writing this, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. What is Jesus saying here? He's showing right off the bat, first you see the priority of the local church. He's showing that he cares about local churches. Again, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel, my messenger, to what? Not to go to a publishing house. Not even to go into Rome and in the courts of the emperor. Not even to go to Jerusalem to the high priests. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify. Again, they originally went to what? How many churches? They originally went to seven churches. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Jesus has a priority for the local church. You're like, we're here tonight. It's, I don't know, 30, 40 of us. And we think we're not that important. You know, the local church is important to Jesus. The local church is. That's his plan right now for this dispensation is to carry out his unique, I mean, not that God can't do something in some other fashion. His hands aren't locked. But his unique institution right now is the local church. That's, how, that's, his, that's the springboard from which he wants to carry out the Great Commission. That's the springboard from which he wants to have the Bible published. I mean, there's Bible publishers and stuff like that. And I, I like Cambridge and stuff like that. But the ultimate custodian of God's truth is the local church. If every Bible publisher went out of business and, um, and, and whatever, all that happened and nobody could publish anything because of licensing and they're against it in this country, that's all right. The local church will keep publishing it. We're the pillar and ground of the truth. So Jesus says, this, this amazing book, this is one of the most remarkable, the whole book is, the Bible. But the book of Revelation, where does he send it to? This manuscript, to local churches. He shows that's a big deal to him. He started it. He, he said, I will build my church. He died for the church. The local church, we are privileged to be his publisher of the truth. Uh, note also, as he recaps himself and re, kind of re-summarizes uh, himself as the author, he says he shows priority of the local church. And then he also, look at verse 16, shows, listen to the words of our Lord Jesus. He declares and re-emphasizes the fact that he is the prophesied Messiah. Look what he says. Jesus says, I am the root, in case you forgot this, reading the whole book, I'm the root and the offspring of David. Now, most of us, when we read that, we're like, well, that's weird. Root, I mean, I just planted a garden. Well, here's, that is a very messianic statement. Isaiah 11, 1, there shall come a root, out of, there shall come a stem from Jesse, and a rod shall come forth from him. It's talking about... It's a, it's a messianic, there's a messianic uh, description, there's a description in the Old Testament of the Messiah, and the description describes him as coming from David, a, a sprout from the line of David. So in other words, when Messiah was to come, the Savior of the world, who's first the Savior of the Jews, when he was to come, he was to come through Israel, not just Israel, through Judah, the particular tribe, not just Judah, through the line of David, who is a part of Judah, who's a part of Israel. And then Jesus says, that's me. But notice what he says. I'm the root and the offspring of David. What he's saying is, I am the creator of David, and I'm also the descendant of David. He's a greater than David. It's not like we look, oh yeah, Jesus is a great guy who came from a wonderful family, David. No, he made that family. 
He made everything, actually. So he says, I'm not Messiah, the root and the offspring of David. And then he calls himself this bright and morning star. Again, another messianic title. It's another Bible uh, way of saying, I'm the Messiah. He says, I'm the bright and morning star. There's a prophecy in Numbers chapter 24 that talks about the star coming out of, out of Judah. And it's an, the idea of, of uh, it's describing the Savior of the world will come from that tribe. And so what does Jesus call himself? He goes, this is who I am. I came from the line of David, just like the prophecy says. I'm his creator. I'm his descendant. But I'm also the bright and morning star. Now, some of us, how many of you get up when the sun's rising? Some of us? Every now and then. Some of, sometimes I do it because somebody's crying, you know. Uh, sometimes I do it because it's a good habit. But, and I don't understand all the constellation or all the planetary movements, but they think that the morning star is like Venus. It's one of the brighter, I don't know which side of the, you know, probably this side, I guess, this is where the sun's rising. There's a bright star that shines in the morning, very bright. And what, it, what the idea is that star is bright and it's um, illuminating and it's welcoming a new day. And Jesus says, that's me. I'm welcoming a new day. We were just reading about it in these last couple chapters. That's me, Jesus says. I'm the morning star. I welcome a new life, if you believe on me. I welcome a new day in the millennium. I welcome a new world after the millennium. I'm the bright and morning star, something new and bright with the Lord Jesus. This is, that's what he calls himself. Now, here's his three. So what is he saying? In that verse, verse 16... This is who I am. He's saying, I'm the God of the Old Testament. I'm the God of the New Testament, giving this stuff to the churches. The Old Testament, I'm showing you that I'm the Messiah. I'm the God of this whole book. Now, here's my final words. Number one, here's a final welcome. The Spirit and the Bride are saying, come. Let him that hears, that hears this message, that hears the salvation message, you tell people, come. And it says, as it says there in verse 17, let him that's thirsty come, you thirsty, and whosoever take, will take of the water of life freely. This again, as we preach this morning, it's like a God's last call for water. You know, they, you, you, anybody ever hiked the Grand Canyon? Matt, did you? Anybody else? All right, I would like to. But one thing I want to do before I go down, sure I got plenty of water, you know. I don't know that there's any 7-Elevens down there. Uh, in fact, I know there's not. <laughs> Phantom Ranch down there somewhere, and that sounds, I don't know what's there, if it's called Phantom Ranch, but um, anyways, you know, you think, before I go down, I better find some water, you know, otherwise it'll be bad. And God's saying to the, at the end of the book here, this is the last call, take the water of life. Take the water of life. It's what is the application here reading this? Okay, God's final welcome. So what? Uh, the application is we need to be welcoming people to the water of life in Jesus Christ. Because he says, my spirit does that. The bride does that. Him that hears, him that's hearing should say, come to the waters. Come, come. There was a teacher I had in Bible college. Uh, um, his name was Ron Brewer. He died, I think, seven, ten years ago, maybe. Uh, he died, he actually, they, he, his wife, and they don't know exactly why, but it was like some kind of cancer and stuff. He thinks he may have been poisoned being in Ukraine or Russia because he used to do a lot of missionary trips, especially there. 
But I remember in college, he'd tell us his testimony. He said, when I was um, a teenager, he said, I got, um, I had a friend that was a Christian. And my friend, so I could tell my friend cared about me. And my friend in, uh, invited me to their Christian summer camp. I don't remember where he grew up at. But he said, my friend invited me to summer camp. He said, because he was, he could, looking back, I realized he was burdened for me. He wanted to find a way to get me, because I wasn't going to church, get me into this camp, hear the gospel, and be saved. So he says, my friend said this, hey, Ron, why don't you come to camp with me? There's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of people you can meet. I think they had horseback rides or something. You can, have, you can do horseback riding. Um, you can play sports. It'll be fun. Oh, and by the way, they're going to have some preaching, but you can handle that. You'd be fine. That's what he told him. He said, my friend told me all those things. My friend was showing some friendliness. But he, and he said, they're going to have preaching, but you can handle it. And, it. and he said, it made me think, yeah, okay. And he went. And he got saved. And uh, over the next few years, kind of discipled and everything. And he ended up going to a Christian college, that, uh, a Bible college. And, and it was actually called Pillsbury Baptist Bible College. It doesn't exist anymore, but he went there. He was trained for the ministry. He became a youth pastor at a couple of different churches around the United States. One of them was a large church in what's called Hollywood, Florida. He said in the 1970s, he, that was one of the largest youth groups in the United States. He said, I was a youth pastor at this large church in Hollywood, Florida. I had like four youth pastors under me. He says, we were just a huge youth group. And then God moved him to other place. He went and took a pastorate, pastored somewhere. And then by the 80s, I think it was, God called him to be a missionary to New Zealand. He went and planted at least one, maybe two churches in New Zealand. And then he came back here and he helped and taught at the college I went to and taught at another college. In fact, when he died, he was a member of Desert Gateway Baptist Church that three miles, three or four miles from us. But I remember thinking, that's great. Look at that. He planted churches. He was a pastor. He's a missionary. He involved, it affected a lot of kids as a youth pastor. What did it start with? Some friends saying, hey, man, why don't you come right. to camp with me? You can handle it. That's how it started. Somebody was saying, come to him. That's what we need to be like. God's a welcomer. God's final welcome. Let's, let's move along now. Look at this one. Now, this is interesting. We've got to make sure we understand this. Number two, the final warning. There we go. Got the final warning up there. All right. Verse 18 and 19. We'll read it. Think about this. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, one of you kids, tell me what in the world that's saying. What is that saying, kids? Anybody know what that's saying? What is that saying? What did God say? Huh? All right, one of you teen guys, tell me. What does that mean? Calder. Yep, there's no, you'll, it's a revoking, you won't be saved. It's not revoking of eternal life. Once saved, always saved, but you will not be saved. If you tamper with God's word, that is, you purposely take some out of it in the sense of, like, this isn't God, this is what God says, minus something he said, 
or you purposely add something in there and say, hey, this is really what God said. You've added something. He says, you're adding a plague to yourself. You're taking away, you're taking away your part in the book of life. It is a, it's basically saying, don't tamper with my book. Now, it's not mean like, I, got, I was looking earlier today, the book of Matthew here. All right, so I have some words missing. All right. Uh, this, this doesn't mean that, kids. It doesn't mean like one of my kids, I don't know what happened. Maybe I dropped it. I'm missing a part. Okay. It's not saying don't ever tear a page out of your Bible. No. Or if your Bible ever tears, that's bad luck. No, it's not saying that. It's not. It's, you know. Or, or even saying like if you have an old Bible and you have to throw it away. I mean, if it bothers you to throw it away, do so. It's not saying that you're, that's not like, oh, I'm not saved. No. It's talking about people who purposely, conscientiously are saying, now let's edit this. Don't put that. Let's leave that out. Here you go. This is God's word. Or let's put this in also. This is God's word. Ah, whoo. You know, you know there's fines for copyright infringement, right? You take somebody's work and either you treat it as if it was yours or you add something and treat it like it's yours, but it's really your... Um, uh, what's plagiarizing or, or doing something to misuse their words and put your little fingerprints on it. Ah, there's been even pastors, a pastor that got in big trouble for that that's actually pastoring in the valley here. He was a well-known pastor in, I think, the Northwest, and he got in trouble for a bunch of things. One of them is a copyright infringement in some of his books. People are buying his books, and they're like, wait a minute. And he was misusing some other people's information, and he also had some bad um, administrative habits and, and kind of, anyways, he came out here and started another church. But, um, uh, but, you know, here's the point. What is God saying? This is a warning. Don't mess with my book. There's a high price for tampering with the Bible. I would say that's a high price. Now, let's talk about that. There's a couple comments here. This is a warning that we can relate with, a warning that's been repeated, and it's a warning that should cause us to reevaluate things today. All right, let's think about that. This warning about not adding to God's Word or taking from God's Word is a warning that we can relate with. Is it not, you can relate with this, is it not offensive when somebody says that you said something that you didn't say? Huh? Is it not offensive when somebody says that you didn't say something that you did say? Okay, this is, a, this is kind of a light, mild example, but for me, I remember when I was when I was had our early you know our first four kids, I would say stuff. All right, kids, if everybody gets the house clean, then we're gonna go outside and go to the park. Yeah, and everybody like yeah, and I'll start walking off, and I hear one of them pipe up and say, "All right, guys, yeah, let's do that." And Dad said he'll get us ice cream too, and I'm like, "What? Hey, wait a minute, you know, ah, it's an offense. <laughs> I wouldn't mind having ice cream." But occasionally, occasionally, you know, one of my kids might say, may might, hey, if you do this, dad's going to do such and such, trying to motivate their little brother or little sister. If you do this, dad promises this. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, did I say that? You know, when somebody says something that I didn't say, it's kind of offensive. Now, that's a little example of kids. But in a greater example, when people and souls are in the balance and people's faith is in the balance, when some crazy TBN preacher gets up and says, if you get right now, and 
you give right now and you call and you call in and, and I just feel it right now. God's going to bless you. You got a new job coming. Some, by the way, some of that stuff's so vague it could happen to anybody. Tomorrow, the sun's going to rise. Oh, yeah. Okay, never mind. I can feel it. One of you out there watching is going to get a new job this week. Well, probably. Come on. Or those, but some of them will say specific things like God's name's on it or they say, God told me. God told me. And they'll make some, and it's like when they say, God told me such and such, get ready for a piece of heresy, you know? And they're going to tell you something that they say God said, and it's like, ah. And I fear for guys like that. Like if you, if you, you basically, it seems you're adding to God's word. You're putting a promise out there God never promised. Like you'll never, you know, it might be something like um, uh, you'll get tenfold for giving one thing, you know, or you'll get, uh, you know, they'll, they'll just make some promise as if God said it, and God didn't say it. The Bible, Isaiah says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this, it's because there's no light in them. So Isaiah says, this is the rule that you go by. All right, so it's a, this is a warning we can relate with. Um, Okay, and then number letter B, this is a warning that has been repeated. All right, everybody follow me. Let's go to the first Bible guard in Scripture. Here we go, Deuteronomy 4.2. Deuteronomy 4.2, God put a guard, security guard, at the beginning, the middle, and the end of the Bible to remind us of this truth. Deuteronomy 4.2. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. There it is right there. It's, there's also said in another way in, that, in chapter 12, verse 32. But here's the first one. Don't add, don't take away. Now go to the middle of your Bible. Ready? The middle of your Bible, Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30, notice what it says here. Verse 5 and 6, the words of Agur, included in the Proverbs here. Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Whoa. Somebody, some, sometimes people add to the words of God. Have you ever heard of a religion that says they have another oh, yeah. testament of Jesus Christ? They've added to God's word by way of a couple volumes. And uh, we could spend time and see them reproved and be found liars, in particular Joseph Smith. All right, so here's a warning at the beginning, at the middle, and then we already looked at Revelation chapter 22 at the end, the guards, the beginning, middle, and end of the Bible. Don't mess with this book. Don't add or take away. Don't add or take away. Don't add or take away. So this is a warning that has been repeated. By the way, notice what it says too. Look again, verse chapter 22, verse 18. For I testify in every man that heareth the words, if any man shall add, God shall add. Verse 19, if any man shall take away from, verse 19, the words. It doesn't even just say the thoughts. 
It doesn't just say, if anybody just kind of takes away the jest, God puts value on all of His words. You know what Jesus said? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We should not, you know, there's been times in history, don't misunderstand, there's been times in history where Christians didn't have an every word Bible. They didn't. Um, some of them only had a couple books. Some of them maybe already had part of the, the Bible. And, um, but the idea is that we need to value every word and want to have access to every word because that's how man lives. So this is a warning that has been repeated. Let us see, we'll spend a few more thoughts on is this. This is a warning that should cause us to reevaluate issues today. See, some of, you are reading, some of you might be reading these two verses and you're like, Pastor, this is not a big deal, no big deal. I'm not going to be adding or taking away from the Bible. It's okay. Well, let's think about that. This is where we, this is why we get, um, <laughs> this is why we shouldn't just take just any Bible version. Now, I'm not going to talk about the whole Bible version issue tonight, and I'm probably more gracious about it than some of my friends are. But the fact is, is you can't say that every Bible version is okay. When some are adding, mostly the newer ones are taking away. And some are just translating in, in some strange ways. This relates to Bible versions today. Now look, this is just from your pastor's heart. There's probably, this is the best. I don't think there's any error in this Bible translation. It's not just the best. I don't think there's any error. And there's probably a couple of more English versions that are not too bad. Okay? That's my opinion to you because I've been trying to keep up on it. But this is the best one. But most of there's so many English Bibles. And many of them come from... There's, reason, there's two reasons why they are read a different. Because they come from a family of manuscripts that is Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, primarily Greek, that are different than this one came from. That's one reason. And another reason that they, they read a little differently is not just because of updated language. That's not really a, as much of a problem. It's because of a translation mentality and philosophy of some of the translators. There's certain translators who have a mentality of, ah, you can just kind of give the gist. Or they might have a mentality of, you know, we have a theological slant we want to make sure it sounds like. And so there's a translational attitude that goes into translations. And back to my first part is they take from manuscript, a manuscript family called the critical text that has left a lot of, ver lot of um, verses out. This Bible and a couple of current ones today, this Bible represents a Bible that it didn't, you know, there was other, there was other English Bibles before this, in the whole, and, God, and Paul wasn't speaking English, okay? He's speaking Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. But this Bible came from a family of manuscripts that had, that had the fingerprints of a lot of Bible-believing people all over it. It's called, the, it's called the traditional text, the traditional Hebrew and Masoretic text, the traditional Greek text, Look in history, and there was Baptists and Protestants that were using that text. This other one called the critical text, there's not as many copies of. They, some of them are really old. That's why the newer translations say, ooh, it's an old one. 
because it was sitting on a shelf and nobody was using it. But they have, they don't, even their manuscripts are like less than 100. They don't agree with each other as well. They disagree among their manuscripts. This one, there's nearly 5,000, and there's more unanimity among them. And it has the fingerprints of God's people using it. The critical text has passages like at the end of Mark 16, the last half of the chapter is gone in a lot of them. There's a passage in Acts 9 where it talks about what do you need to do before you're baptized. Well, you got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They leave a verse out there. There's a couple other verses. There's just some things that are left out and re renderings that aren't accurate. And that's why over the history, Bible believing people says, you know, they, we don't know about these. These seem to have been altered texts. They've been put aside. There's not as many copies. except And so we've, and through, through time, even, even Luther, even Martin Luther used uh, what would call a, a traditional text. And I think he may have even consulted or I was told that he was even um, looking into the Waldensians and what they were, their copies of Scripture, because they were, Waldensians are forerunners to the Baptists, because they were faithful copiers. He wanted to know what they had. He knew they were faithful copiers, and he didn't, she shunned some of the Catholic, there was Catholic hands on Scripture. She shunned some of that. So here's the thing. So, in this, we could say in our Bible, wait a minute, no, maybe they added because, Pastor, you're saying all these newer Bibles, they take away. Maybe they didn't. Maybe that's right, and the, these guys added. But if you look in history, it looks like they were actually keeping what was con some continuity of what's always been passed along, and this stuff has been left out. I don't know if you're following all this, but I'll just tell you this. I'd hate to be a Bible translator. I really would. I'd be like, well, this one looks pretty good to me. We're let's go with that, you know. And so this relates, the reason we're looking at this, because it relates to Bible translation issue today. Some people, I would hate to be a guy to say, you know what, let's just leave out that last part of, John, last, last part of Mark. Let's leave out that, those verses in 1 John chapter 5 about the Trinity. Let's just leave that out. I'd be like, ah. And then act as if it's God's Word? No! I don't want to leave that out. I don't want to leave it out. I'm pretty sure I'm saved, so I'm just going to, you know, excuse myself from this thing. So all I'm saying is this would make people think about how they handle the Bible. We had a brother here, of course, last month. They, they are involved in translating, and they have our mind on that. We share the common mind of respecting every word. The Bible is an open book, but not open-ended. Just add on and add on. You know, the Bible is a unique book. One person said, um, your Bible is a unique book. It has no prequel, no sequel, and no equal. It's a good book. All right? It also, this also is a warning we can re, to cause us to reevaluate issues today. There's, people have added books to the Bible. Have you ever heard of the, I haven't watched the movie, but the um, uh, Da Vinci Code? Isn't that kind of based, and there's a book, and I think Tom Hanks was in the movie. It's kind of based on some other gospel of Fred. I don't know. The gospel of Thomas, the gospel of Judas, the gospel of Mary. And there are books that are called that. And a lot of them were not in the first century in John's time. They were written afterwards in second, third, fourth century by what they called Gnostics, who were these intellectual types who gave the nod to Jesus but said, hey, he's not really God. Hey, God doesn't have a final word. Here's a gospel. It was a false writing, and they're adding to God's word. This relates to added volumes of Scripture. As we mentioned, Joseph Smith, he would, you know, a Mormon, our Mormon friends will say, we have another testament. of Oh, we, use, we even use the King James Bible. 
But we have another testament of Jesus Christ, and I have the burning in the bosom that tells me it's true, you know. And um, and they have and Joseph Smith is added unto these things, and the doctrine and covenants, which is another writing, and the pearl of great price, and I think the journal of discourses is some of their they give authority to, and so they're they've they've uh, done that. And so look, here's the point: it matters kind of how we look at and our mentality about the Bible. Because the Bible is going to judge us. Jesus said, the word that I've spoken unto you, it's going to judge you in the last day. John chapter 12, verse 48. We want the Scripture to judge us, not so much that we judge the Scripture. All right, so there's, there is a final warning God says. Now, I love this last. This is a great way to last point to end on. The final word of promise. Look at this. I, or what does he say? Jesus, he that say, he that he that testifieth these things, this is verse 20. He that testifieth these things saith, what does Jesus saith? These are his last four words in English here. Surely I come quickly. I love how that ends. Jesus says, surely I come quickly. Um, I am going to abruptly show up in your world. Hey, kids, have you ever had, like, your parents leave, and they're like, oh, I'm going to come back in an hour, and then all of a sudden they abruptly show up early? Wait! I wasn't supposed to be watching TV. I was supposed to be doing my homework. Surely I come abruptly. So, (laughs) one time I I had my kids, (laughs) they were babysitting. It was actually Johanna and Michael. This is the first time they were babysitting. Um... Man, that was a big deal for her. Like, well, can you baby? I'm like, I don't know about this. I mean, she's like 11 or 12. <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, it's not a big deal. But Johanna was going to watch, like, uh, Johanna was in charge, and Michael, and then Susie and Gideon, and Johnny may have been around there. I can't remember. But uh, I, Deb and I, we're just going on a walk. I'm like, all right, Johanna, you're in charge. You're in charge. Okay. So we go out, close the door. Right when we close the door, she's like, all right, guys. And you know, she did her little thing, and uh, and and <laughs> oh, this is on Facebook. I, I won't. So, anyways, it was funny. We we actually came around. I won't tell the whole thing, but we came around. My wife and I got back a little early. Went in the backyard, went in the backyard, looking through the window. What are they doing? You know, they're having a grand old time. They actually weren't doing anything bad. But I'm like, that's funny. That's funny. Some of the things I see them doing there. That's funny. I can't tell you right now. But um, it was funny. It was clean. But we came, and then we came through the front door abruptly. I'm like, oh, you're back already. Yeah, we're back. Surely we come quickly. You know? All right, so this is, this is really true. This is wonderful. This is a promise, a couple things. This is a promise that expresses imminence. Jesus says quickly. That means I could break upon your world at any moment. Now, think about this. There are people that, there are people, there's a, and I don't want to get into this. There's some people that say, no, Jesus can't come back yet. Until the Antichrist is revealed for everybody to see. Then Jesus is going to come back. And they misinterpret in 2 Thessalonians. When, so, so in other words, there's literally Christians who are looking for the Antichrist. Wait, no, it, could be, it could be Obama. It could be uh, Biden. I don't know. Maybe not Biden. It could be, you know, and they start saying, and they're looking for the Antichrist. Now look at this Bible here. After Jesus says, I come quickly, look what John says. Come Come, Lord Jesus. He's praying for it now then. He's looking for Jesus to come right away. The apostles expected Jesus could show up in their day. 
They knew it was, he, there was nothing hindering from coming back. It wasn't like, oh, wait, he's got to show up first. They're looking for the Christ, not the Antichrist. And so this is a promise that expresses imminence. Another thing about this final word of promise, it expresses, it's emphasized three times at the end of the Bible. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, behold, I come quickly. Look at verse 12, behold, I come quickly. And then his last four words, verse 20, surely I come quickly. You know, sometimes I've told my kids that. I'm like, hey, hey, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get home, and I'm going to pick you guys up, we're going to get going, okay? I'm going to get home, I'm going to pick you guys up, we're going to get going. Most of the time, my boys are anxious. All right, cool, we're going to go, Dad. And sometimes I show up, and I said, all right, let's go, guys. Wait, you're not ready? Sorry, let's go. You and you, you're ready. Come on, let's go. And they're like, what? <laughs> Pulling their shoes. We don't want to come. You know, I'm like, no, sorry, I come quickly, you know. Save you, leave, you leave, stay behind for the tribulation there. So, just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, it's just that idea like, I told you, I told you, I told you I'm coming. I told you. Here I am. Don't act surprised. And so, it's almost like, again, he may wait another thousand years. I don't know. But he says, I'm just going to bust into your world. So, get ready. That was his last four words. Wow. This is a promise that is embraced. Look at this. It's enthusiastically embraced. Yep. Look at that. I love this. So Jesus' last words are, surely I come quickly. And look what John says. Amen. I mean, it just says amen. But I hear an amen. And then he says, even so, come Lord Jesus. He, in other words, he said, oh, Jesus says come quickly. Amen. Let it be. That's what amen means. Amen means that's right. Let it be. I enthusiastically accept that. That's why it's okay if you say amen. I'm not asking for amen or pushing amen buttons. But that's why it's okay to say amen in a church. Like, yeah, I accept that. I accept that. I accept that. That's good. And John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The last prayer in the Bible. The last prayer in the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, you know, some of you kids, have you ever prayed, come, Lord Jesus? When you had to go up in your room and you're waiting for a spanking? <laughs> you go to your room, young man, you're getting a spanking. Oh, baby, so come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> right? Huh? Maybe after you're spanking. You haven't, you've got a lot of homework you're doing bad in school. <laughs> oh, come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, maybe you'll start doing that now, praying that. And then we, we adults, you know, I'm having a terrible day. Oh, tomorrow's Monday. I got, oh, Lord, even so come. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm having a hard time. You know, sometimes we get like that in our, in our sorrows. That's all right. That's all right. We're supposed to long for his coming. Look at, we're going to start winding this down. Look at verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It's a benediction. It's a blessing. The grace after all we've seen in Revelation, we see He certainly shows His grace still right at the end. Last words, His last words, written, not spoken. His last words in print, right here, but not in person. I read about, I don't have the quote again, but I told you I read some ironic last words. There was one guy, he was a commander of like some, a Prussian, I think, isn't that Prussia, an old, uh, it's Germany, right? Okay, this guy was like a commander for Prussia, and he was fighting 
Poland or Russia or somebody. And his last words were, come on, my fellow Prussians, on to victory. And just moments later, and those were his last words. And there's been people like that. They said, you know, nothing will stop us now. And then he dies in a minute, you know. And the Lord Jesus Christ's last words in print, but not his final words in person. These are, these are vic- words of, I'm coming back and you're going to sense and appreciate the victory with me. You know, the great philosopher, and he's a children's author, Dr. Seuss, once said, and, and so we're done here, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened, right? And I was thinking of that. I'm like, that's pretty good. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. So we're, maybe you are smiling because we're done studying this. I don't know. But, you know, I think in, we'll, as I look through this, the book of Revelation, I, you know, I don't cry because we're done studying it. But I will cry because some of it's going to happen. I mean, it's all going to happen, but I'm going to smile because it's all going to happen. You know what I mean? I smile because this is really going to happen, all this stuff in here that he says. Amen.